Welcome everyone to another episode of the podcast. It's been a little while, but I'm uh, I'm happy to be back from from my little hiatus, and we've got a, a bunch of very exciting guests coming soon. So, as you guys know, a little bit of quick housekeeping. If you are new to the show, please do me a quick favor: follow me on Instagram at Felix.Levine, my YouTube that you can find by searching Felix Levine. You'll find all video versions of my episodes there. And obviously, all audio versions of every podcast are on Apple and Spotify, so make sure that you go check that out. Subscribe to that, rate, review, all of that beautiful stuff. Um, So let's get into it. And my next guest. I am super excited to have her on the show, and I am willing to bet that she is a better driver than every single one of you listening out there. She is my first NASCAR driver on the podcast. Please welcome Julia Lindauer. Julia, thank you so much for for being here, and I need to first publicly apologize as well because and Josh knows this. You'll you'll be episode number ninety, and my one rule, my two rules are be as professional as possible, and in that rule is be on time and early. And I've never been late to a single session. And and Josh can attest to this. I'm always about twenty thirty minutes early, but I had some some reasons today but still no excuse so i want to apologize to you but also thank you so much for for making it happen and, and being flexible oh no that's okay and i'll appreciate the public uh, apologies i will say um being on time is also a big thing for me so i yeah. understand how rough it can be if you're late like i think i told you i was gonna arrive 15 minutes early of our rescheduled time and then i thought the train was delayed and so then i was very upset that i was then gonna be it's, 15 minutes late it's just a feeling i mean it's a feeling that it feel hurts good. the gut yeah so I just don't, I also think, like, your time is precious, and so, yeah. uh, but anyways. Well, I appreciate it. No, no hard no feelings. No hard feelings. Yeah. We can move it's past It's been this. a day anyway. Amazing. So there we go. So, I told you a few seconds ago, is there a little tidbit, a little story, a little something yeah. the world might not know about you from what's already out there? Yeah. So, I am gonna just say that I'm a race car driver, even though it's not, not been an intro yet, but I'm a race car driver, and I've already mentioned that I'm not a particularly good parallel parker, um, oh, which is ironic, but also, like, gauging how far cars are in front of me um, is something that I know that my depth perception is different, which is something that my trainer and I work really hard on, so I have to put in a little extra effort to understand kind of where cars are in front of me, and what that means is, like, you know, just taking the extra time to have someone coach me and tell me that. So is this both like when you're racing and also like when you're just driving in normal life? Yeah. I mean, it's it's a depth perception thing. So everyone has, you know, everyone is wired to perceive depth and usually you're pretty good at it. And if you're not, you've got to do extra training for it. So it's never been an issue on track. Like I learned how to compensate for it, but it, um, yeah, it's like I thought that I was for excuse me, for example, I thought that I was really close to a car in front of me back when I was 14, I think, and just started racing cars. And I got off the track and the coach had said, like, you can't start making a pass that early. You're not close enough. And I was like, what do you mean? I was right there. Like, I would have hit him if I stayed behind him. He's like, no, you still had like two feet. Mm-hmm. So then I realized, like, I have to sit in the car in pit lane and I keep inching forward. And I have a coach tell me, like, how far ahead. And I do that 
the first time in any kind of new car. And then I'm good because then I have the visuals, but it's not as innate. It is pretty interesting because like obviously that's such a, I would imagine a very big factor. Yeah, you know? it's just the initial, again, it's just the initial, like, right. setting the gauge gotcha. to get there, because I'm still able to get two championships out of it, right? <laughs> like, it hasn't been an inhibiting factor, but it's something that I have to actively uh, prep for, and then my trainer and I also actively work on increasing that depth perception ability. So one thing that I just randomly thought of earlier today when I was driving, I was like, if I was Julia right now, I would literally know that everyone around me is not as good as of a driver as I am. Do you ever think about that when you're driving just on a on a main road? Oh yeah, I, I don't like, you like you're driving. better than every. Yeah. Every... I don't like driving on the road. I'll be the first to admit my boyfriend drives us everywhere, and I'm totally fine oh, with really? that. Oh yeah, he yeah, drives. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, and why is that? You just don't like how the. Mm, I don't know. He's a good driver. He's European. They him? learn how to drive over there pretty well. Okay. Um, and trust him. Yeah, totally. And I don't have to drive because I get so frustrated. You know, people Damn. don't. We don't invest in educating people how to drive here. That's true. And so you'll have people sitting in the left lane. PSA. Don't sit in the left lane because mm-hmm. it's very annoying. Or just like knowing that I can't be distracted while driving. So I know that other people really can't. And you just have to be so much more defensive on the road. Yes. Whereas on a racetrack, for the most part, everyone else knows how to handle the vehicle and won't be stupid. Right. You can't make that assumption on the road. Now, I'm also fascinated that you're a city girl and parallel parking is it's a struggle. Oh, I've barely driven in the city. Because okay. when I was getting my license, you had to be 18 unless you took driver's ed. And my parents right. and I were just offended by right. that notion. Right. <laughs> and um, and so I didn't. And then I went to college. And I haven't lived in New York since. So I drive in New York. But parallel my parking. Par- I, we have a garage spot. So <laughs> Maybe one day I can teach you how to parallel. That'll Maybe. be kind of fun I'm for me getting to te- better. teach the race car driver how to parallel park. Right. Especially in a bigger car. Like, I drive a small Volkswagen GTI. Okay. So it's little. Even if I don't think there's enough room, I know there's enough room right. conceptually. Like, my boyfriend's car is this, like, big mom SUV, and I would hate to have to parallel park that. Interesting. Yeah. So where do you grow up in, in the city? I grew up on the Upper West Side. Okay. And then I went to Stuyvesant High School. Oh, so you went to Stuyvesant? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I went to Beacon. Oh, okay. Know a lot of people who went to Beacon also. Uh, you know, it's... Of course, it's now like, I'm trying to think of the specific people that I know. <laughs> well, so I think what's... So that's interesting. So you went... You Where'd you go for... So I went to Ethical... And- Throughout eighth grade, ethical culture. So I went to private school throughout eighth grade okay. and then switched. And then that must have been a little bit of a it was different switch. Yeah, yeah. Stuyvesant is quite intense. I have a few friends that went there. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's a different. It's a different. But it's a different. I like it a lot more. Really, I fit in a lot better at Sty. I loved how big and diverse it was. Um, I loved that it was in Tribeca and I wasn't taking a school bus up up to the Bronx for yeah. for school. Um, I I found it more intense academically um and and my elementary school was great but by the time i was in middle school i wanted something bigger and did you so i know stem is a big part of Mm -hmm. your hobbies Mm -hmm. um and your passions was that kind of early on when you went to Sykes? i know it's pretty driven there it's a math and science school it's a math and science school um that's a great question so not really i realized um you know when i was younger i knew that i loved that i was this tiny girl that was maneuvering a machine, right? And a go-kart is just, you know, because there's no suspension, we use our bodies to physically flex the chassis. And I just love that human-machine interaction. Obviously didn't know that that was 
a buzzword, right? Like human machine interaction. But I love that just in the back of my mind. And I love that there were different concepts that were coming together to make the go-kart go fast. And then there was the mechanical side and then there was a the physical side and you feel the G forces through the corner and it was just all really cool. And, um, I wouldn't say I was the best at my math and science classes, but they made sense and I liked the challenge. And I'll be the first to admit that like I did not have straight A's in any of my academics. Your first um, life since pretty hard to get straight A's. Yeah, but it's amazing how many people accomplish it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I think having like, I think I was right around like a 90, 91 student and I, that put I, me in like the bottom half yeah, of the class. different like that. Like they... It's a, it's a whole, it's a competitive oh, yeah. beast. Oh, yeah. Which never bothered me because I had been so competitive. Right. One, I'm the oldest child, so there's some competition. Of how many? Three. Oof. Yeah. And so some, some competition there, but then also just what I love to do was very, right. very competitive, and I'm a competitive person, so. Um, but, yeah. Were you innately competitive when you were younger? Yeah. I think and so. you think it was just because you were the oldest child or there was something? Personality also, I what, think. What I, I mean, it? I don't know. I like I like winning. Like, it just feels good to win. And I realize, like, as I have gotten older and have done more and you just, you know, learn about gender dynamics and you mm. learn about, you know, as you get older, as a woman, a person of color, whatever, it's um, you realize some of the obstacles against you right. and girls are not taught to want to win. And yeah. I think I remember hearing Serena Williams, like, was one of the first big prominent athletes who was a woman to say like I love winning I was like yes obviously like why else would you compete in sports if you didn't want to win and like, that was uh I believe it's something with regards to that in the in your first TED talk that we, we I told you earlier about yeah um that everybody that's listening or watching should should check out which I believe was what is the exact title the title is can nice girls win can nice girls parentheses win. races races there you go um, and that was, that was a little while ago. Yeah, that was in 2014. I was a baby. a baby. I watched myself on stage. I'm like, oh, Julia, you know what's you're fun- so you know what's cute. Funny? You know what's funny? I rewatched that last night, both of them. And so I watched the first one first, the Stanford one, because then uh, And that was Julia when I was also- 22. Okay, she was 22. And that was seven, eight years ago. Yeah. Um, and then I rewatched the other TED Talk that you did. I think it was Columbus Circle. Yeah. Was that the yeah. one? And um and that was a, little, a few years ago. 2019, yeah. And I remember thinking just to myself, I was like, in the first one, I was like, she speaks very well, especially like you were very young at the time. Like, I, w- I was impressed. And then I saw you in the Columbus Circle, and I was like, wow. that's like A lot better. <laughs> well, it's a lot better, but, it, but I mean, the bass was very solid. Yeah. And ve- like, it was very good for, by any standard, very good. But then I was like, wow, like the improvements are even so apparent. Yeah. Um, but well, thank you. I'm glad that. But you are a motivational speaker. As well, so yeah, and that's... I got quite lucky with you know Stanford asked me to give a TEDx talk, and I got to work with a speaking coach. Which, if anyone wants to be a speaker, I highly recommend just investing in that. I'm lucky that I didn't have to, but it was it's it's so good because you just get out of your own head, and so learned how to tell a story properly. It's mm-hmm. all my content, it's all and it's my style on right. stage, but um, it it's a really fun career to have but yeah i look back and i'm like oh you spoke so quickly <laughs> i had practiced it and it was 11 and a half minutes every time i practice eight and a half on the real one and <laughs> yeah well it's the nerves and it's the excitement because yeah. there's adrenaline because yeah. the crowd is either into it or not hopefully they are and my crowd was and they were laughing at my jokes i was like oh my god this is the best feeling ever and after after winning races of course um <laughs> it's a really good feeling and 
um, you know, I just, you get excited and then you get into it and I walk around on stage a lot and I got a little winded yeah. and then sometimes I made the mistake once where I wore a, my stylist had me wear a belt that was like up on my rib cage and I realized I couldn't take a deep breath. So I was like, <gasps> okay. And so now we're going to keep talking about this. <gasps> okay. And oh, it was, it was rough. Well, I think it's also interesting just, you know, your story in general when I was kind of looking at it more because knowing most of like like you and I both grew up in New York and I would say your life is very um un I well I would say actually I'd make two different arguments I would say it's like it's a New Yorker in the best way but it's also very untraditional yep. like how many how people many, in New York can drive it, yeah, period let's start with that <laughs> um but then just kind of like your whole progression but I think and now even understanding like you went to Stuyvesant for people that are from New York they understand like Stuyvesant is one of the most prestigious schools in in the state in the country let's go I to guess. the country yeah and uh i won't argue that and then stanford is obviously one of the most prestigious universities in, in the world um for you did you feel uh, at any point i guess let's go just academically like knowing that you're doing something that's remarkably hard um and also remarkably special i guess in just your kind of academic trajectory strip away the race car right. side that's an interesting question because i think um I would say overall my family is quite competitive as well. Okay. And my parents are two professionals and had lots of years of academia. And um, so it wasn't like we always had to get straight A's, but we always had to work hard. Mm -hmm. And because they understood, like, you know, some people have different capacities. Right. Some people will be able, like my brother and sister got straight A's in a lot of their classes. And I feel like I worked so much harder than they did. Yeah. And so it was just they understood that, but they wanted us to work hard. Um, and then I don't know. I just, I've al I also always wanted the best that I could get and I had very specific things and I think it's hard for me to not look at academia and racing together because okay. part of also what was great was that I did, I knew that I didn't have to achieve certain grades to go do what I wanted to pursue professionally right. um so it wasn't like there was that pressure to there was pressure in high school to get good enough grades to get into the universities I wanted to right. um but then once I was in university it was like well I can just explore everything. I can do take all the classes that I want to take to grow how I want to grow as a person, knowing that I'm going to move to Charlotte, North Carolina and pursue a career in NASCAR. Well, see, honestly, I think that even makes me respect you 10 times more because for anybody that's gone to school, knowing, I think a big driver in your motivation is feeling like it's going to set you up for something down the line. But you, like, I mean, you technically could have dropped out early no yeah no I definitely I didn't have to go to college exactly. um but I also I guess I knew that I was not a complete person or anywhere near as complete or curious as I wanted to be I guess and so like I also knew that you know I didn't come from a family that was business oriented and I knew mm -hmm. that sponsorship and building a business yep. was important for racing I don't have public figures in my family so just knowing how to um carry yourself or to create a fan base was something I knew I had to learn. Um, so I didn't have to, but I also knew that I was not the best that I could be. And I knew I, I've been so driven to make racing happen at the highest levels that I will do what I have to to try to get there. And especially at 18, 19, 20, it was like, get better. <laughs> but racing aside, what's your metric of, you know, understanding or knowing if you're where you need to be? That's a great question, and it changes. Um, I don't. Besides a gut feeling, I, 
I think it comes down to like if you want to do something and don't know how to apply your skills or feel like you don't have skills to to do it. Does that make sense? Like knowing Oh, you stumped me. That was a really good question. Um I don't know. And I think, you know, part of being competitive is always feeling that like you can get more. Mm-hmm. Um and I think you don't even have to be that competitive to be that way if you right. want more. But and obviously there's a healthy way to do that and maybe a less healthy way to do it. But what I'm learning is that, you know, parents' definition of success or teachers' definition mm-hmm. of success or fans' definition of success are different. And I know that my definition of success has changed, especially as, you know, if I haven't made it as far as I want in racing, let's say, and, you know, I used to define success as being paid to be a race car driver. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that that doesn't happen to a lot of race car mm-hmm. drivers. And so, like, I have two championships, I have a lot of wins, but I have never been paid to race. And most people don't get paid until, like, the highest level of NASCAR or the second highest. Oh, wow. Yeah. So how does that work? It's kind of so a pay-to-play. So is it just sponsorship? Sponsorship or personal funding. And okay. so, you know, there, there are a lot of companies involved in NASCAR, and especially at the top level, there's a lot of value in the exposure and the relationships with the teams. But it's very, very hard for an individual – without a trust fund, without family business, Mm -hmm. to actually get real third-party sponsorship. And the reality, and it's always been an expensive sport, obviously, but, you know, it's drivers have to figure out how to get funding to get through kind of the minor leagues. And so what I did learn, I don't remember which interview this was. Actually, I do. It was with, um, he's a funny guy, Uh, Jonathan Van Ness. Oh, yeah. Funny fella. Um. That was an exciting interview. Very very entertaining. (laughs) I was entertained the whole time. Uh, You kind of like, well, explain. I learned because I didn't know this about uh, NASCAR because I don't follow that much. Um, Wait, you don't watch NASCAR? I know, I know, I know, Julia. As a New Yorker? No, but (laughs) shocking, right? Right. Um, Is that there's different tiers. And so will you just explain that really briefly for people who aren't familiar with how that works? And then like where like what tier you are in or like how you move up or how that works so if you think about um most sports they have the major leagues minor leagues Mm -hmm. kind of grassroots levels are getting into it so with nascar specifically you have nascar cup series which is the top level so when you think of jeff gordon jimmy johnson danica patrick they were at a cup level um the tier two is now called the nascar xfinity series Okay, yeah. And so I they race, yeah, they race slightly fewer races per year, slightly shorter races. The car is slightly different. Um, all the specs are slightly different. Okay. They way to think about it is that cup races on Sunday, Xfinity races on Saturday, not exclusively, okay. but and then there's the NASCAR truck series, which is the third right. from the top, um, which they are purpose built race cars, but they look like trucks. Right. And that's um, like race on Friday. And then right. so those are the three national series. And then you have. One branch underneath that is like the international series, so the Canadian NASCAR series, the Mexico NASCAR series, and the European NASCAR series, which I've competed in. Two of those haven't competed in Mexico. Um, And that's – it's not professional in the same way that those three national series are. Um, and it's much shorter races. And then you have like really the grassroots levels. You have what's called ARCA racing. You have, um, late models. It's like all kinds of weekly series, basically. Sounds confusing. Yeah. It's just like, you know, you keep climbing up and it keeps getting more expensive. And, um, and so I had raced in like that last of the minor leagues in the U S 
Okay. Um, and then I raced in the Canadian series. I, in 2020, became the highest finishing American in wow. the European NASCAR series, which I'm really happy about. There haven't been a ton of us racing over there, but enough people have. So that was really cool. And then it's just been really hard to break into the top three series because you see a lot of drivers who are self-funded in some capacity, whether that's family or business connection, you know, whatever that is. Um, and then, um, yeah, you see more kind of third-party sponsorship in Xfinity and Cup. So, so I'm just trying to understand the, like, does it come down to the different, like, minors and major league equivalents? Is it more a funding issue or more like a results issue? It depends who you ask. You have some okay. Cup Series drivers who will say that the very talented racers will make it and... I think if you ask all the very talented racers right. who are trying to make it, um, it, it definitely comes down to money. You need enough money to be able to even just get to the minor leagues that have no TV coverage, minimal ROI for any kind of sponsorship. Oh, okay. So you still need many wow. dollars for that. So it's just, it really either or you like you know you come from a racing family where they have gotcha. the they have the equipment so you can do the local grassroots level stuff. Um, but it's hard for everyone. I mean, it's wow. like teams have full teams of just salespeople to get sponsorship, right? And so um, what I've learned is that as an individual driver, it's hard for me to bring enough value just by myself without the team help. But then the teams want to know that I can bring funding. So it's like a weird chicken and egg problem. Interesting. So then how do you – so like first – I guess my first question is what does funding look like to be in like that top tier – of like what what kind of dollars are we talking about the very top level you're looking at they've just restructured and like trying to change the car and change some rules but roughly to be competitive like it's at least 10 million dollars a year yeah it's a lot of money it's a lot of money um but it's out there um (laughs) for some people (laughs) and um and then it trickles down from there um and so you know for me a lot of my you know since i graduated a lot of my time has been spent pitching companies for sponsorship and I was very green when I started. So mm. like learning the do's and don'ts of that and the ups and downs. And, but then also, you know, pure sponsorship I found was really difficult to be attractive. And so learning how to leverage other parts of my brand, mm. like, like my speaking ability right. or like, you know, content partnerships with different companies. Like I did um, something for Shell where they have an eco um, uh, eco marathon, I think it's, no, I'm totally blanking on the name now, but it was, um, an eco challenge for universities to build, um, non-gas using gotcha. motors and they raced over in England and it was a competition and, um, like I hosted, um, video content for that. So figuring out creative ways to get funding to go racing if the sponsorship itself isn't a good enough sell. Um, Yeah. And do you feel? Oh, I like, know. That's how I feel about it too. Oof. I mean, I just feel. I just think. I think it's because because what I think I also struggle to gauge as well is, and that's why I think NASCAR and just I guess race car driving in general is such a fascinating sport is because everybody can everybody thinks they can drive, but then race car driving is a whole other beast. And like, and we'll talk about more of like the specifics mm-hmm. in a second. Um, but it's like. What I try, what I want to better understand is what makes the best, like the the number one ranked NASCAR driver in the world. What's the difference between that person and the hundredth best? Right. No, it's a great question, and 
quick little side note is that I was talking about NASCAR costs, like all racing is expensive, yes, right? So like yeah. Formula One's the same way, just more expensive. I can imagine and, yeah. more expensive. So I think that's a great question. There are so many different styles of drivers. So part of it, you know, I think of just innate ability to drive the machine on the edge and to have that feel of what's on mm. what's on the okay. edge, ma- totally maximizing the car. It's also about communication, how clearly you can articulate what's going on with the car under very specific circumstances so that right. you can report that back to your engineer or right. your crew chief who can then make a change. So on the driver's side, it's innate talent. It's the ability to communicate. It's the ability to, so that's driving well and then also racing well, which is, you know, if there's a little opening, do you go right. for it or not? Like right. that gut instinct, the ability to gauge that, the ability to stay perfect and consistent and hit your marks perfectly for as long as you can dealing with the car falling off as the tires get worn. Um, But then there's also the team side. It very much is a team sport because the engineer or the crew chief has to make the right calls. Um, You know, the mechanics have to do a great pit stop. Um, And so it it varies. And, like, Jimmy Johnson won seven championships, and it was some combination of incredible chemistry with Mm -hmm. his crew chief and his ability to drive the car really well and to race really well. And... um, so it's a lot of little factors. Right. And in those races at like the like the top, like the Jimmy Johnsons, what's the difference car wise between like his car, let's say, and the and the individual that finishes last? Yeah. So I don't have specifics. I don't know how right. these teams operate. But <clears throat> basically, a lot of it comes down to budget. If you okay. have the budget, you can have the newest equipment. You can have, you know. You can buy a bunch of motors and check which one happens to be the strongest because they're all spec, okay. but there's always a difference in right. spec. Like, you know, on the dyno, the um, the power range or the power band might just be a little different on one motor. Um, it's the ability to hire the best talent um, to be able to set up the cars right. and to work on the cars and to motivate the people. Um and then it also comes down to, you know, drivers have a spotter. So someone who stands right. in the top of the grandstands helps helps you not hit anything yeah. um, and conveys information to you. And we have a lot of blind spots, so they help with that. But, like, a really great spotter can make a big difference, right? So um, a lot of it comes down to budget. I was literally thinking while I was also driving today, I was like, do you ever check your mirrors when you're... Do you guys have mirrors on, on the cars? Oh, yeah. So it's like... But, like, I feel like you don't even have time to check your mirrors. So it's... Interesting. It partially depends if you're on an oval or a oh, road right. course. Okay. A road course goes left and right. Oval is an oval. Um, and it also depends on the size of the oval. Sometimes there are really small ovals where everything's happening so quickly that you just rely on your spotter. Yeah. Um, but you should, like, you, we all glance in our mirrors. And, okay. But what you don't want The wanna, side ones or all of them? Different drivers have different preferences. I like mirrors on both sides and okay. my rear view. Oops. <laughs> and um, I... I just like having all the information, even if I don't necessarily use it. Um, but then you don't want to, like, I think the biggest thing for mirrors, like, when you're leading a race or, you know, in a battle and you're in front, right. like, you never want to, like, keep looking in your mirrors to see where the guy behind you is or okay. girl behind you because you're less likely to hit your perfect line if you're constantly checking what they're doing. And so th- sometimes spotters will say, like, don't don't drive through your mirror. Like, look look in front. Like, focus on your line. Oh yeah, are you exhausted yet? No, like, there's so I, much I mean, going I'm just, honestly, on. like, just thinking about it, just because you're going at yeah, rapid speeds. You're doing all of this going. It so just fast. it makes me tired, and and then also what I so I don't want to spoil for the people that haven't listened to previous podcasts of yours that you've appeared on. Um, is it gets real hot in there? It gets real hot in there. It's like a little yeah. sauna. Yeah. So if you think about your car when you 
or in the summer and you open it up after it's been sitting outside that. all day. Yeah, it's really hot because the motor's right up front. We don't have air conditioning. Some Sometimes Why we have don't some they have cool... air conditioning? You well, they're like... not going to put it on the car. One, because I think it wouldn't be super effective, but two, it's added weight that you don't need. Oh. Yeah. Right. So there are different systems. Like, there are cooling systems. Either you can have, like, a tube from the helmet that goes to the outside, so at least you get fresh air. Sometimes you, you can pump in cold air. Some people wear cool suits, which is, like, um, we have fire-resistant like oh, right. shirts and pants that we wear under the suit and they have like little wires that just shoot ice water through it i've never used one of those but it seems fancy why wouldn't you ice expenses well i just i also haven't needed it yeah it gets, so i, I sorry heard, yeah so let me I heard it gets about 150 degrees what you said yeah so in the summer 150 yeah, you, it can be 100. I think they've clocked 155 in one of the cup cars. Yeah, because the motor's just right there. So it's just heat training is super important. And there's no benefit. This might be really stupid. There's no benefit to having, like, the window cracked a little bit? Well, the window's open. Oh, I know. We don't have a window. There's a net there, so we don't tumble out or stuff right. doesn't come in. But um, you're going so fast that it's just oh, wow. it's basically like it's not there. So there, there are the cooling methods, though. Like, people get air to okay. their helmet and everything, but the more stuff you put in the car, the more weight that's there. And if you're trying to win races... Have you ever felt like you were going to, like, pass out? Yeah, I've had a couple of really hard races. So, but, so one of them was we were racing at Sonoma Raceway, which is in right. Napa, or it's in Sonoma, um, in Northern California, which you it's don't think of... Nice. North, it's beautiful, but you don't yeah. think of Northern California as getting super hot, but yeah. inland, a little bit where the racetrack is, it gets really hot. And we were racing, and on the green flag, it should have been like an hour and 15, hour and 30-minute race. On the green flag, my teammates decided to crash into each other, and they totally blocked the front straightaway. So the front straightaway was one of the narrowest parts, and they just there was wreckage everywhere and carnage everywhere. They so crashed. They, they crashed into each other on the start. Your teammates together? Yes. Come on. I know. The hell? But what was so annoying about it was that in order to clean up they didn't let us go back into the pits because the race had technically started. Oh, okay. So they red flagged the race, and we had to sit in our cars for 45 minutes oh, in the sun oh, while they cleaned up. Oh, and we can't get out of our cars. And so we have our water bottles, which are filled for the duration of a race. And, um, and then we had to go race. And it was like, so it was like two and a half hours in the car boiling. That and it was... And it was a track where it's a road course, and there's kind of like off-camber corners. So it's a very physical track and i was exhausted oh, yeah. i would be i was i can't even imagine i was so spent and like it took hours for my face to cool down afterwards i slept all that night though it wasn't a really good race so i didn't sleep oh. very well <laughs> you, so. You were, you. <laughs> so to add insult to injury i then spun by myself and ruined a, bad, a good race but so i don't want to i don't want to beat i don't want to beat the question because i know you've been asked it a million times but Obviously, I think it's it's super important to talk about. So you've been at, at least from the interviews that I've that I've listened to, you you get asked quite frequently. It appears to me, what is it like being a woman in NASCAR? Mm-hmm. Okay, I won't ask you that question. Okay, but first, for people like that have no idea that are dummies about NASCAR race driving, race car driving in general, how many professional women are in NASCAR? There are none at the highest level right okay. now. Danica was the only was one Danica. in recent history who had made it. She's the only. There have been a handful in Xfinity and in trucks, okay. and um, but in the you know getting paid to go racing, there aren't any anymore. You and spoke, did, did, do you know Danica? I have met her a couple times. She nice. She wasn't uh, mean to okay. me. 
She wasn't mean to me. Okay. Um, but and there have been a handful in IndyCar since since she was okay. there. Um, none full time. Um, there are none in Formula One. There never have been. Um, sports cars have more women at the top, which okay. is a totally different breakdown. Which, quite frankly, I'm not super well versed in because I've never okay. raced sports cars, okay. but I'm an outsider in that world. Um, so there are not a lot. You see more at the grassroots level, but there just really are not. Like we, I've had some races where there were three women in the field out of like twenty something. It's like, oh my god, yeah, this is like amazing! That. Like history is being made. So generally, when you race, it's you're the only woman. For the yeah, most part. there might be one other one, okay. but um, for the most part, it's been just me. And. Have you noticed since you were younger the transform like a little bit of an increase? It's better. Yeah, it's definitely better now. Um, and as I was saying, you see more in the kind of grassroots minor leagues. Right. Um, and you're seeing more and more kind of inch their way closer to the national series. Um, but it's not just the drivers either. It's like all the crews are mostly right. men. I, like I, all I, the mechanics are mostly men except for a handful. There's no crew chief, so like lead engineer in NASCAR that's a woman. There's one car chief which is a little different um but in terms of the person calling the shots on race day there are no women who do that um it's same in formula one similar in indycar and why why do you think that is so i think everyone has a different experience i mean it's not necessarily like the most fun community to like be a woman and it's not bad all the time and i think overall but also i mean it comes down to you know everything from you know this from the early ages like you know if we're talking about drivers you know parents have resources to put one kid in racing they're going to probably just assume that the boy wants to go racing um you know and i think i really believe i think gina davis said if she can see it she can be it Mm -hmm. i mean if you don't see any women going racing you don't think that you can do it and you know i was when i was oh how old was i 23 when i won my second championship and that was in a stock car so nascar sanctioned racing okay and the first time, first race I won that season, this like twelve-year-old girl came up in victory lane. And was like, I didn't even know that women could race. Wow. It's like she's twelve. Like we're in twenty fifteen now. Like there have been women racers, but there's mm-hmm. so little visibility. And then there's all the schooling from more the engineering side. I mean, it's okay. um, you know all the there are so many studies that show why women don't necessarily continue on the technical right. fields in mm-hmm. school. Um, also the lifestyle is quite demanding. I mean, NASCAR races 36 weekends a year. Um, yeah. And it's like, you're on the road weekend after weekend from it, like Wednesday or Thursday through Sunday. And, um, lifestyle wise, I think that's harder. Um, culturally. I mean, I think there are so many reasons. Is, was there ever, um, a moment, I guess, in, in your life in general, where you felt like that could have dissuaded you from going into this altogether? Um, that's a good question. Not really, because I started so young, like Mm -hmm. at 10. Um, I was always used to being the only girl. Did you like that? Like that was kind of cool. Like you're, I mean, that's also Uh, cool. I'm just thinking about like as a New Yorker too. Yeah. yeah, Just the New York mentality. Like you're doing something that you know, like you're literally like the only, the only girl there. It was always cool. I always enjoyed like, you know, showing that girls could win, Mm -hmm. that, you know, that people could like working with me, like right. radical concept. Yeah. Um, well, I, and I had teams that I joined like kind of after college where you could tell that they were not excited to work with a woman because of any either preconceived notions or um, stereotypes that they projected. And it's like, oh, she can shoot the shit with us. This yeah. is fun. Or yeah. she gives us a hard time. This is great. Yeah. Like it was proving that you could enjoy working with a woman, um, which was that was weird. Um, but I don't know. I didn't. 
I didn't really think a whole lot about it because like socially during my, you know, puberty years, I feel like I had cooties, they had cooties, like um, everybody had cooties. Everyone had cooties. And especially the driver's meeting is like didn't always have friends to sit with. But but after that, like I got a great coach in go-karts who he had he fully believed in me when no one mm. else would. Like no teams would sign me when I was twelve or thirteen. My parents tried to get Is that us a on. normal thing that people people get signed at twelve and thirteen? For go-karting, you want to join a team that has the resources, like they have spare parts, they have all this stuff. Okay. And I had just won the local championship and I didn't learn this till years later, but my parents started calling all these teams to see, like, hey, can we can we pay uh, you to have our daughter there to be on your team. I said no. Like, nah. And so I had this one guy who's like, I see her talent. Like, let's go kick their butts. And we did. So that was really wow. cool. And I always had that kind of vote of confidence. And my parents have always been incredible. Um, and then I just got, you know, like cocky enough that it was like, you know what? They might not want me to hear him. It's okay. And I haven't had a terrible experience by any means. Like, I think I, I work hard to integrate myself with the team right. and show that we're all there to try to win. Like, no one wants to work this hard to putz around in last place. Um, and I take it very seriously, and I have fun with the team. So that's good. And then I think there have always been some competitors who will race me harder. And that was something right. a coach pointed out. Yeah, that, you know, they had never seen people block so much or move me out of the way when I when they couldn't pass me cleanly. And it was something that I was so used to mm. throughout all my years of racing. So when they said it was clearly more aggressive, right. I was like, ah, yeah. each pass I make <laughs> is that much more impressive. Yeah. So, and, um, and you think it's just because they wanted to not get beat by the girl? I think so. Or parents pressured them uh, to not get beat by their girl. I don't know if you heard this story, but um, there was one race apparently one year where I was in fourth. This 18-year-old guy was in third. I was a little faster, but I was struggling to pass him. Like, he was good at defense and um we were racing and apparently it was a road course and so when we were on the far side all the spotters could hear each other in a way that you can't normally hear on an oval okay and so my spotter heard this kid's dad stay into the radio like don't let that bitch pass you do not let that bitch get by you so and he was like oh my god he's being so aggressive and you're old at that point oh i was in my 20s at that okay, point and, and i didn't hear it it was yeah. my coach that heard it but my coach was like oh my god like he's being so aggressive and for me it's like Okay, so this kid's 18 years old, and he's getting the confirmation from his dad that all women who are competitive yeah. are bitches, right? And so, like, that's the cycle, right? That continues. So, in a weird way, did that does that kind of like fuel you, or em, em, empower might not be the right word, but at least to like you're you are ha- you are having an effect. And I think like yeah. even the story that you told about like the 12 year old girl that went up to you after you won that race, yeah. like you're having an effect there. And here you're having an effect where, I mean, obviously this is like a very, it's not a pleasant thing to hear, but that you're showing the world that there is different ways of doing things than have been traditionally done and new opportunities for women. So I think like in that way that that's gotta be empowering, I hope. It's cool, yeah, it's cool. What I've learned is that there are gonna be people who are open to knowing that the world's bigger than the way they see it, and then there are plenty of people who are not. And so if it can have a positive effect, that's great. And what was cool was like, you know, my team at that point, they had never worked with a racer who was a woman, and so they had never seen that. And I think when they saw that with their own eyes or heard it from my spotter, my coach, they were like, oh shit, this is, this is a something that I was not aware of. Right. And because, you know, we had this personal relationship, it was something they wanted to, I don't want to say be educated on, but, like, 
learn more about maybe how that applies to other parts of their lives because a lot of them had daughters and i was mm. like ah you know if someone's talking about julia like that are they going to talk about my kid like that right. and i think that was it was really cool and it you know but then there are people who just don't give a shit and don't want to learn and then it's just beating your head against the wall. right and as much as like I mean, do you ever get kind of sick of being asked about like like of having the the gender conversation brought up in when it comes to racing? Like just people just to talk, like, would you rather they just talk about who you are as a race car driver or that like because I'm sure you've yeah. heard it a million times in a million different ways? Yeah. Well, and I have a kind of split answer for that. I always I would prefer to be known as a great race car driver, not a great female race car right. driver. But because there are so few women race car drivers out there, I also think it's important to right. your point to have the conversations. Right. And like I just remember, um, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying there's obviously no right way to be a minority in any industry, field, whatever. Um, and like, you know, Danica had made the decision not really to talk about anything related to her gender. And that's her prerogative. That's mm-hmm. fine. Um, but when she, as she, but when she had announced her retirement, she did talk about specific things more. And I was like, oh, shit, that's what I went through, too. Yeah. And I know other younger women, because she's about 10 years older than me. And, like, even, you know, women who are younger than me are like, yeah, like, I don't feel like such an outsider knowing that she also went through that as the most powerful woman in racing at the time. So I think it's important. And until we see more women, it's like, clearly, we need to try to discuss. And I think at the end of the day, also, like, a lot of these people who are working in racing, like, this is their job. They, this is how they yeah. pay their bills. They need to do something. Um, and upsetting the status quo can potentially have a negative side effect for each individual. So I get that it's not just like making it better right. for women. It's it's a very complex. I'm learning just how complex right. it is. Yeah, I mean the whole, even in just this 30 minutes talking to you, it's it's a very uh, it's a very interesting kind of world that you're in. You know, because I feel like also I might be making a a mass generalization but i feel like a lot of them might not have the academic background that you have or um like i don't know i think i think it's just uh it's it's just it's a breath of fresh air no yeah and it's funny you say that because like i i think there have been some great things about being a woman in racing and there have clearly been some obstacles right. um both on the racing side and the financial side on the support side um but i being in NASCAR, I almost feel like sometimes being a New Yorker and having gone to Stanford was like a bigger thing. Because yeah. people like I know that people thought I was super pretentious until they met me. Right. Like my team, <laughs> my team, my team members have told me as much. And it's like, I know I have these labels that people don't know what to do with or don't have so any how personal. Did you go to Stanford. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> no, I love Stanford so much. <laughs> it was it was fantastic. But but you know, and you know, people being making judgments and making generalizations is important it's a defense mechanism it's the way Mm. you know we get through life and if we didn't judge people we could put ourselves in bad situations or we could that's interesting but you know if you just have limited knowledge about groups of people or you're making these judgments based on limited education or limited experience with people then it's not necessarily going to be a good judgment right Mm. so it's like kind of fighting human nature with what information you have, and I was definitely an outsider in that way. Luckily, again, was able to prove pretty quickly that I was cool and still a racer, but um, I was really surprised when I left college as to, like, how snooty a lot of people thought I would be. Do you, for, like, and I think the judgment thing is pretty interesting. Um, like, how does, one, how does one person get the right, the right amount of judgment? 
Oh, that's a great question. Because I think you're right. Like, I think everybody naturally is going to judge, period. I mean, I think it's just like a human instinct. Like, yeah. right when you see someone, you're immediately you're making doing, judgments. You're doing whatever you're doing. But then I agree. I think, like, the kinder individuals are going to try to, like, mold those judgments in an open-minded way is maybe the best way I can formulate it. But I'm curious what you Yeah, as to what I you would think. assume it comes down to open-mindedness open mindedness or growth mindset versus mm. fixed mindset or curiosity or interest in the world um i think you know because i make judgments about people all the time and right. i think okay I, you, you take that next step it's right. like is this fair is there something that i can still learn from this person like taking it that next step um and i think it varies i think there are some situations where your immediate judgment will probably serve you and then there's somewhere you should be more flexible um but i don't know and i think also maybe it depends on the personality type right like if you're um if you're someone who's more easily swayed by other people's opinions then you probably should be a little more judgy to make sure you're letting the right people in whereas if you're a little more i don't want to say confident necessarily but like strong in your beliefs and not going to be as swayed by other people maybe you can be less judgy yeah i don't know it's a great question and now we're just going to take a quick break to talk to you about my longtime sponsor in U.S. Wellness Meats. At uswellnessmeats.com, you can choose from over 350 foods raised the way nature intended. That includes 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, lamb, bison, elk, and dairy. They also have pasture-raised heritage pork, wild-caught seafood, and pasture-raised poultry. These are some of the host of foods that you can find at uswellnessmeats.com where the owners are the actual farmers themselves. And now they've introduced a subscription food delivery service and curated sample farm bundles. Choose the bundle of food you want to receive every month and they'll deliver it right to your door automatically. It's never been easier to serve your family real, honest-to-goodness food without the junk. U.S. Wellness Meats is the choice of championship sports teams, professional athletes, chefs, world-class trainers, and families just like yours all over America. Use promo code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to save 15% off of every order at uswellnessmeats.com. Now let's get back into it. How do you, for for yourself, I guess, as you've, um, you know, progressed over the years and found success, have you been able to kind of vet who who's there for the right reasons? You limit how much time you spend with anybody yeah. and just, like, stay yeah. at home a lot. That's true. Um, no, I mean, it's trial and error. I think, I think my parents helped all – my siblings and I try to be – decent gauges seem like you have very good parents yeah they're super intense <laughs> they're great yeah, though, but, uh, you but know, they're I, great I could, I, could, I could get the intense vibe right watch uh, the first tedx talk you'll see why um why one of them is really yeah intense. yeah watch i remember he he old papa lands oh papa lands yeah yep. um but no they're they're really great i'm quite lucky because also like i don't know a lot of new i have all my friends are from new york i don't know how many of them if they were crazy enough to say, hey, mom, dad, I want to go into NASCAR, I want to, you know, they would have been like, okay. Oh, to be know? fair, I think my dad wanted to race when he was little and wasn't allowed uh, so, to. They're uh, not from New York originally, so they're from New Jersey. So right, little, right there. But there's a little something. The parents, they live vicari- vicariously through a... Yeah, a little bit of no, that. It's, uh, but also being super supportive. Yeah, right. no. So back to your question about letting people in. Um, I'm quite guarded and quite... Um, 
skeptical of people. And so I think, but it, I, I, you can prove me wrong easily. Like I give people the chance, but I don't mm. assume I'm going to be close with people right away. Why are you, why do you think you're guarded initially? I don't like my time wasted. Is that sort of super mm. bad to say? But you know, like there are some, there are things where I should say it differently though. Like guard, I, yeah. guard is not quite the right word. I think it's more like, I don't necessarily assume I'm going to be besties with people that I meet and I want to learn like kind of what their background is, what their motivations are and everything. Cause I really do believe that the people you interact with the most become like mirrors you become mirrors of right, what you see right. and so i've learned like it's just really important to be with cool people not necessarily you know people who are always smarter than you or you know but people who elevate you in some way um whether it's creatively whether it's intelligence whether it's just like getting out of your comfort zone um and yeah i don't think i really answered your question does it take a lot to like what is your metric on how you will finally be convinced or is it just like a gut feeling I think it's a gut feeling like did right. i enjoy hanging out with them did i feel like we were contributing to each other's mm. lives and i'm thinking of this more in like a social context like on a professional context it's a little different right, you know there's you know everyone's trying to get something you, it needs to be a mutually beneficial um relationship but on a personal level it's like do i want to leave my comfy pants with my glass of wine to go mm. hang out with you I feel like that's a great gauge that's for me. A, that is, that's I a love, really good measuring stick. I love stick. being at home with our good wine and. Are there a lot of know, people that'll that'll motivate you to get out of here? Oh yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Were you and as a like, what were you like as a little, little high schooler in, wandering <laughs> yeah. the streets of New York? I loved it. Um, I was I was pretty insecure in middle school socially. Mm. I found that the New York City private school scene was. A little rough for me why how so just uh, there were there was a lot of nastiness i mean mm. i think there was just it was and maybe this was my personal experience maybe i was too sense or super sensitive to it but i just did not have a great time in middle school um and racing was also such a great escape i had started cars when i was in middle oh. school it's like oh my god i have so much more fun here yeah. i don't feel threatened by the people around me like let me um let me pursue this. Let me leave school as much as I can to yeah. go racing. Um, and then I switched to Stye and I felt so much more comfortable, but I also realized I had to break out of my shell. I think I had come, become so closed because I was so uncomfortable socially. Mm. Um, and then once I got to Stye and people were super cool and, you know, it, it seemed a lot less superficial to me than mm. the private school was. Um, and people were nerdy and, like, excited by, like, more interesting things and sorry to anyone who really enjoyed private school no. it's fine it's like to each their own but it, it took a, it took the four years of high school to feel like I could be more outgoing and then my mom and I talk about this when I got to college I like told her I want to be known as someone who has high energy vivacious like mm -hmm. makes people feel good about themselves that was a conscious decision that I made Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm only smiling because when I so I went to I went to public school my whole life mm -hmm. in the New York City system, and us public schoolers are always like fuck the private school. <laughs> yeah, you, know, yeah, you yeah. guys pay bajillion dollars, and you're not that smart. And you know, like that was kind of <laughs> like the mentality was always like us versus them. Now, granted, I did have a few friends that that went to private school, but it's just interesting um, to hear because you know, for people who are from New York, understanding like our high schools were very well geographically fairly close but also kind of um 
you know, your school is a little bit better, but but my your school's but, great too. Yeah, my school is it was decent. Um, but I think it's just interesting to hear kind of uh, you know, that experience because oh, man, your parents must feel like they wasted a little bit of money now. Well, in a ways, uh, you did you did learn a lot. No, I learned a lot. Yeah, but I think once they realized, like, oh wow, there are these other great schools, yeah. and um, and again, it was really good for a while, and um, and like I had I had friends who didn't feel didn't really give a shit about yeah. the other girls, let's say, and just kind of did their own thing, and they thrived there. Right. And so there's something about my personality, you know, the personalities that were in my grade. Um, I just didn't love it. I had mean girls on my bus stop. Like, it was oh. just like I had to be with them all the you had time. A, you had a bus? Oh, yeah. We take a school bus from the Upper West Side up to Riverdale. Oh, my. Oh, so so at, so what's the, the private school called? Ethical Culture. Ethical Fieldston. Col- oh, okay. Oh, I feel like it, I've heard it of Fieldston. It led to Fieldston, yeah. They had so a good tennis team, in, no? Oh, I don't know. Oh, I, I think I've <laughs> I don't know. But, um... It's oh, one so, of the Hill schools, so it's okay. Horace Mann, yeah. Riverdale, oh, I hate Horace Mann. and Fieldston are all up okay. there. Interesting. So you take a school bus every day. I took a school bus with mean girls. So, with the mean girls, and like for me, that was the other thing. Like to be thirteen years old, and it's like I live in Manhattan. Yeah, and I am like <laughs> bussing up to the suburbs basically yeah. to go to school. Like it just. I was just like, I want to be in the city too. Right. And, and there's some other private schools in the city. Some good ones. Yeah, there are. Um, I think. I think I think once my parents were like, oh, there are specialized public high schools yeah. where we don't have to pay anything yeah. and you can get a great education. Yep. Shoo, shoo. Yeah. And um, like obviously I, it's interesting reading about all of the politics around the public, the specialized public high yeah. schools. And I hope they don't take away the test. I'll be the first to say oh, that. Really? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. This is good. This is a hot take. Oh, yeah. Hot take. Wait, so why? Because well, I. Like, let, let's debrief for a little bit. Let's so, debrief. To get into a specialized public high school, which yes. I don't know, there are eight now, ten. I don't know how many there are. I think there's eight. Um, there's one test that you take. And I'm gonna like, interrupt you real quick, interrupt. just so so the people that don't live in New York City that understand. True, true. It's basically divided between these eight specialized high schools that all, as Julia was about to say, and I rudely interrupted her. Uh, you take one standardized test, and then there's the rest of the public schools that are. By zone. So also, by, you can be anywhere in the city. By zone or application. Like Beacon, for example, the oh. school that I went to, was like portfolio-based, and then you interview and it didn't matter where you lived. Um, and they try to, you know, be somewhat uh, – and they try to be diverse geographically mm-hmm. speaking, mm-hmm. but there is no restriction on the, the zoning apparently. Um, so then I'll, so then I'll let you take it away. No, that's okay. Um, so it's based on one test, and I think my year like 23,000 kids took the test. It's like it's a stupid number of kids because it's a – you know – a free education that's great and it's, yeah. and it's just test based and so um it's not perfect by any means because obviously p- families that have more resources who can mm-hmm. tutor for it myself included mm-hmm. like i had a tutor that or i went to tutoring class um or you know families that start prepping their kids at age two for it yeah. and the big critique right or let me backtrack so there's this big test it's just one score is a cutoff for Stuy, one score is a cutoff for Bronx and all the other schools. Um, and I guess the controversy around it, I mean, they're diverse, but it, I think Stuy, when I was there, was like 70% Asian, 20% white, and then mixed for the other. So there's a low low percentage of black, Latino, Hispanic. Um, I apologize if I'm missing a group, but that's the big thing. And so is the system perfect? Not at all. But I think instead of trying to change the system to get into school, change the education policies for middle school and Mm. why aren't the middle schools helping to prep these kids more? 
And I say that not having not being fully educated on it, but I don't see how you can have a a test that I'm gonna pause. I'm gonna let you interject a little no, bit. No, I'm I, well this is why I'm super happy to like this is awesome for me because I, I think that I because I think we're looking at it from two different ways. Mm. That's why I think this is an interesting debate. Because I have one of my dear family friends. She's like huge up. Shout out to Natalie. She's huge up on uh, like she, public school, like the whole New York public school mm-hmm. system. I don't know exactly what, what she does like precisely. Mm-hmm. But she's like very involved. She has been for like 30 years. Um, so she she would like argument all this stuff way better. And funny enough, she went to Stuyvesant and her daughter went to Stuyvesant. Okay. Um, and so... No, what what I've heard from this argument is that, yes, you made the, the very valid point that um, for people that have the resources to have private tutoring, it definitely skews and favors them 1,000%. That's without a doubt. Um, so that would be – I think that's the main argument, and I actually think that – And it's a I, valid one. And I think that's I, – I 100% agree that that is um, – I don't think that that's – I don't like how much of an effect your financial situation has on – determining whether or not you're going to do well on an exam that carries so much weight. I think that's the first thing. And I think also in showing that, like Stuyvesant, and this is me just bashing Stuyvesant, is just like being 70% of anything and then 20% and then 10%. It's just not very diverse. Yeah. At least on numerically speaking. Yeah. But then I would also argue that a lot of that 70% also is not high income. A lot of that is also... Low. Yes, but again, we we're generalizing. We're, general- <laughs> we're generalizing, we're generalizing here, and but, we don't know. But it's um, I think the. I mean, I I think that there it's not a perfect system by any means. I think. I think that the root of the issue is not the test. I think the root of the issue is the middle schools and the elementary schools and the limited resources that they have yes. and the limited, you know limited flexibility of teachers and all of that and it's like why don't we also address those issues or you know if if they wanted to make it more accessible like all public middle schools in new york should have an option to have or have some component that's helping for this test right okay so this is the other thing i was my argument that i forgot to, to say i think also so my school actually beacon got hammered in the news when i was there in the New York Times once because um, for lack of diversity. Mm-hmm. Now, believe it or not, Beacon is actually more diverse than like 80% of the public schools in New York City, but whatever. They, the, that was the article. And so I was very close to the admissions director because I used to play tennis. And he, and I had this conversation with him. I'm like, what do you think about this New York Times article? And he was like, look, what I think is what we try to do is to get the the racial breakdown of New York City is I don't have it on I don't have right, it in front right. of me, but it's whatever it is, and what Beacon is trying to do, and 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 he he acknowledged that they weren't perfect in, in right, being there at right. that point in time, but to try to represent New York City as best as they can in every single school. So if it's twenty 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 or whatever it is, right. to really try to make sure that all of these schools are more representative of yeah. this beautifully diverse city that we live in yeah and so that's where i think that like these tests um really don't help that at all and i do agree though that like 
if in in middle schools like there was like I don't know like a whole class devoted to this um, prep for this exam right or whatever that is, but I do think at the same time like a lot of these schools that um, are more you know less white yeah they don't have and it's just it's just a fact they don't have the funding to do to have yeah. programs like that right or they don't have um, the resources to to take time out of their day to. To, to provide that. And also, I think, like, for me, just even thinking about it, like, would you really want to have a class every day where it's, like, prepping you for one exam on that one day for but for I feel like you could school? argue that about other classes, too. Like, do you really want to go hang out in math class okay, that's today? Fair. Okay, but that's, okay, but, but then, like, but then it all comes down to that one exam. And I think you can only take it once, if I, if I will remember. No, you can take it twice. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. You can take, you it, take it twice? Incoming freshman, incoming sophomore. Okay, so you know more than I do. I don't know. I think it's an interesting debate, though. I, I mean, That's why yeah, I'm yeah, happy no, It's that... an interesting debate. And I also, like, and maybe this is obnoxious of me, but, you know, I think, how do I articulate this? That you, hmm. I'm going to hold that thought. I'm going to hold okay. it. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to. All right. Enough of this public school anyway. talk. I want to know more <laughs> yeah. about you. Um, career-wise, now, I don't know, as I told you, I'm not. I don't know that much about NASCAR. What is the like what's considered like an old NASCAR driver? Um 40s. Okay, so they yeah, go Yeah, like, like Jeff Gordon retired at I want to say 43, 44 or something like that. And he was considered old at that point in time? Yeah, older. And what is it about So the physicality I think is something that's not talked about enough. Yeah, I agree. Um and you know, to like the amateur novice like myself Actually, I understand a little bit more when it comes to the physicality just because I've researched it a little bit. But will you just explain, like, yeah. how physically demanding – because people think, like, oh, it's just driving. Yeah. But, like, there's a whole – I mean, other than the 150 degrees in the car, there's a yeah. whole host of physical – Yeah, so just imagine you're, you know, extremely six-point harness, uh, tightly strapped into the seat. You're muscling around 3,400 pounds. It's, there is um, power steering, but it's still – Sorry to interrupt yeah. you. What's the average weight of, like, a regular car? You know? Oh, that's a great question. Um, like what's like, just so I know, so I can gauge how heavy. I want to say twenty five hundred pounds to three thousand. Oh, so it's like fifty percent heavier. It yeah, it's a heavy like, car. It's a heavy. It's a it's a. Heavy. It dep- and it depends on the series because like the Euro one was twenty seven hundred pounds and okay. Um, but your but car's think about like a heavier Toyota Camry. I want to say. But you. I so- say that, and I I just don't really know. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not a big car person. I'm okay. a big race car person. Yeah. But um, but it's like think of just. Maybe like a Mustang. I don't know. Okay, I'm, okay. I'm trying to think. It's like, but think of your Heavy. car and and you your your neck and shoulder strength has to be incredible because for those of you not watching, like my arms are out. But it's um you know your the steering wheel is far away from you and you're having to fight the g forces and you're doing this for hours on end right. and then you have to have a good core strength because we have like seatbelts that are I mean the seats that are made to us but we're still fighting the G-force and so having to like kind of brace ourselves in and you're doing this for hours. And so on top of that, you have all the mental stuff. So you have to be aware of what your car is doing, how it's fading, if it's not handling properly, the other people around you trying to pass them, trying to not get passed. So the physical mental combination is just exhausting and it's really hot in the car and your neck has to be super strong. And, um, yeah. Where do you feel it most at the end of a race? Um, 
probably most in like my neck shoulder area just tension of just like steering yeah, the whole you're, time you're steering um especially if it's a smaller oval and there's just a lot more movement and less straight away to take a deep breath mm. also like like outer glutes are pretty tight afterwards because oh. of the gas and the brake and you're doing really hard on either one and like still having to brace yourself in the seat um and so to your point about age i think there just comes a point where one your if your reflexes slow down because reflexes are another part of it right. but then also um you know just you get sore more easily and now it's also like does this is a sponsorship going to keep you going so it's a multi-part mm. um okay. issue and just on the physical side so is it like is the gas and brake like in a regular car so think if it's a yeah the gas is on the right the brake is in the middle but then we also have the clutch on the left side and we have a dead pedal like that we can brace ourselves on okay but so you drive it differently you use both feet i left foot brake yeah oh really yeah it depends on the car it depends on the transmission there are some cars where you still need to hit the right foot brake and put the clutch in but not at the higher levels okay. at the higher levels you use the clutch to get out of first gear um and then i left foot brake yeah but then in a car on the street i don't i right foot brake gotcha okay hold on just give me a second just oh okay gotcha Josh just gave me the, the, the signal. I didn't know what he was saying. <laughs> no problem. I was talking. Also, I'm just so impressed. I feel like you've sat still this whole interview, and I'm, oh, really? like, moving around with I thought bad I have posture. It. I thought I've been like this the whole time, but who knows? Maybe. Anyway, we'll but see on the video. You. I'm moving yeah. around so much. <laughs> um, I'm curious for yourself. Like, do you, you – you strike me as someone who's very um, – what's the word I'm looking for? Very, like, you think about – your your short term goal your short term goals your long term goals um and you're very calculated in doing mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. um correct me if I'm wrong no, I think that's fair um for your, how do you kind of see these next I don't know five years ten years what do you hope what's the dream yeah that's a great question and a loaded question so I mean recently it's just been way way harder than I would have hoped to get sponsorship right yeah. so I raced full time in 2020 became the highest finishing American Euro Series, only did a handful of races in 2021. Um, we haven't yet announced plans for 2022. So shameless plug if anyone wants mm -hmm. to sponsor a New York City race car driver. Yeah. You can find me. Yeah. Um, but also, um, you know, it's just, it's, I've never just been racing. So like motivational right. speaking is really satisfying and cool. Mm -hmm. And I'm now jumping into NFTs and mm. like deep, deep, dark rabbit hole that's uh -oh. super cool and exciting. And so like there are some stuff there and I'm exploring, you know, I really like the idea of kind of human performance and helping people be their best. Mm -hmm. And so kind of vaguely looking at some stuff, maybe expanding keynote speaking, not sure what. Um, but I love racing and I, I no matter what, I know that I will keep racing at least for fun for a long time. Um, I hope to be able to keep climbing professionally, but I just don't know. You know, there are, it's a really hard time for a lot of racers. Does that ever like I don't know, I feel like that could be so defeating in a sense too. Oh yeah. Cause that's like oh, so yeah. crushing because you're so like you're in the top point zero one percent of what you do and then at the same time there's so many like stupid politics and funding and this and that that's just like like just let me race let me do let me do what i'm what i'm best at yeah i think it's you know and i saw it as i was moving up you know even other women who were really competitive right um who made it to a level slightly below me and just couldn't keep going it's like but but she's so good why isn't she mm -hmm. making it and you see it with guys too they're really talented people who just can't get that next step um and it sucks and i think 
Um, but that's also the nature of the sport that yeah. I, I guess I chose. I don't think I'd be good at another sport, but sometimes I just get so jealous of like people who can pick up a tennis racket or can pick up a basketball. Because the other thing is like our, we can't even practice, right? Because racing is racecraft yeah. against other cars. And even in our practice, which is still expensive, we're not going to race other cars. So the only way to improve your racecraft is to get in races. Yeah. yeah, it's not like a little like, let me go shoot around the back. Right, the back. yeah. Like, let me chuck on a huge 3,400-pound car. Right. You have to get a bunch of them, though, too. They break? How many How many cars do you have? Well, the team owns the cars. Like, okay. Yeah, at the, from the minor leagues up, for the most part, the team owns the car, and, like, you, depending on the team, some of them have a backup car. Mine have always had backup cars because you need backup cars. Right. Um, or you fix them. But, yeah, and also just, like, where are you going to go practice? You need to rent the racetrack. Right. And it's, oh, yeah. It dude, expensive, So too. many factors. Jesus so many factors. Christ. Yeah. You know what I also wanted to ask you? Go Your take it. on the on the little um I don't know if you 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 follow a lot of the F one, but that little that little oh, yeah. that little ending with the Verstappen okay. and Hamilton. What see, okay, that was like I'm not gonna lie. I that love was, Formula One. That was maybe the first race that I ever watched. And I turned it on just because I was scrolling on Twitter Twitter boredly at like ten AM when it was like maybe like two laps mm-hmm. left. So like, oh shit, let me turn this on. And I and I literally like opened the ESPN app to that moment yeah. so so here's who, my hot take fucked up? here's my hot take i think the officials fucked up that's what i think too so I, I will be the first to admit that both drivers both max and lewis deserve to win that championship and lewis a little more no i'm personally team lewis but i can acknowledge that okay. both deserve to win because yeah because then max also had had mechanical failures that lewis didn't have throughout the okay, season okay. so just fair, like fair, they fair. clearly both deserved it um and in that race in particular lewis, lewis hamilton was in come front on, come on. and i think the officiating was so piss poor um and inconsistent and they changed last minute and i think the whole point of regulations is when you're in those situations to have a go-to um and so i think everything with the safety car was messed up i think what they did with the lap cars was messed up um so i think that lewis got robbed again season-wide oh, sure. i Max also deserved to win, right. um, and and my my team owner in the Euro Series is related to Max, so I'm like, ooh, oh, so treading lightly. Right, so Max deserved it. Max deserved it. <laughs> no, no, no. But I I personally think that Lewis was robbed, um, and but I don't think it wasn't like either driver's fault. It was, no, yeah. But then didn't he get fired? That dude. Massey got fired. Yeah. And um, but the reality is like, you know, you strayed from the regulations, mm. and I. That's the whole point of having them. It was messy. It was messy. It was, it was so messy. It was. This year is going to be spicy. I know. Very spicy from yeah. what I hear. Yeah. I might actually have to watch. Um, to wrap to wrap things up, and I'm always curious, uh, like, understanding my guest's viewpoint on, on legacy. I don't know if that's mm. something you think about. And I think that yours is, uh, you know, you're going to have a lot of beautiful, healthy life ahead of you. Hope so. But, um, you know, I think that like yours in particular is like it's a really it's a really cool life story. And I hope that you're you're humble. I know you're humble, but like I hope that you know how cool your life is. I might be humble. I'm also like quite proud. Good, of myself. Good. And you, yeah. and, and yeah. you, you 100 percent should be. Um, what do you hope that that your legacy is? Yeah, I think, you know, I've thought about it a lot recently, especially, you know, with so much momentum in my mid-20s, and then it slowed down a little bit Mm -hmm. more recently and kind of 
reassessing and and coming to terms with things and deciding you know what to keep pushing and um i i and i'm not gonna have kids anytime soon but i hope to one day and you know i think about well want to set the example to you know push really really hard Mm -hmm. and to follow your gut and to really like you know ask all the questions don't be afraid i realize like there i look back a little bit on my 20s i'm like ooh, i should have been ballsier in reaching out to someone i'm pretty good like i cold call and i reach out i find a way to get in touch Mm -hmm. with people but could have been a little pushier and so i just i think the idea of really going for it um but being smart about things having a bit of a safety net um but in terms of legacy i don't know it's changing because like I think also my view on the world is changing. Like what was the most important thing to me at 25 is now different at 30 and Mm. like understanding how, you know, being proud of yourself and being content to a certain extent, but also, but also striving for more. It's a weird balance. Mm. Right. Um, So I don't have a great answer for legacy. I think, I think it's about, I, I always hope to with people I work with to help them be their best selves. And what I like to say in my keynotes is that I really believe that, teams or communities or groups like really thrive when everyone is an active participant and so how do we help everyone that we're working with to be their best selves to be their active their active selves to really diversify the pot to bring ideas to collaborate um and i think that's kind of the ethos of how i try to Mm -hmm. live my life and how do we elevate others how do we use them to elevate ourselves and how do we you know to quote my parents like live big on whatever scale that is Mm -hmm. living big can be on a small scale, right. on a global scale, like who knows, but just living intentionally and intensely and yeah, I think that's what I strive for. I think that's I think that's exactly what you're doing. Thanks. Well, it's been uh, an absolute pleasure to uh to have you on. Thank you for having we me. We could we could go for hours, but getting run out of here by Josh. That's all no, right. I'm that's kidding. all right. <laughs> I'm kidding. But uh truly truly a pleasure to have you on and uh I hope that uh well, I have to. I want to. I want to come to one of these NASCAR races because I've never been. I'll, I'll be a little amateur yeah. and just like you know, a little kid in the candy store, just looking around like it's super. so electric. That's like, what the I hear. Energy is. That's so what I hear. Intense. It's electric. Yeah. So hopefully we make that happen one day. And um, but seriously, I uh, I think you're awesome, and I hope that uh, I hope you, you continue doing all that you're all that you're doing because uh, I'm sure. And and you know, I think you're inspiring not just a lot of young women, but also young men. Um, I hope so. I, yeah. I, I, I'm I'm confident you are. Uh, and uh, so keep doing your thing. Thanks so much. Yes. It was great to be here. Awesome. Beautiful.